Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and their Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really honoured. I took a little break on for, on Saturday. I went into the mountains uh, for a little weekend getaway and here I am back. It was I was really tired and I needed that break and I didn't realise. I just went and slept and oh my goodness, it was fantastic. Well, I do hope you had a great weekend wherever you are. So thank you so much for joining me again today. We'll, we'll pick up where we left off on, and we were doing this series on uh, the uh, history of the Indian subcontinent. We left off with some other dynasties the other day on Friday between 300 BCE and 1000 CE. The reason why we I went through this is that I never learned it in school, ever, ever, ever. A few dynasties here and there, we just heard the names, but nothing great. I mean, it was all about the Mughals, the Mughals, the Mughals, the Mughals. It was insulting and you, you were like... You know, they glorified the Mughals to such an extent, you knew that they were paid by lobbyists, okay? They were paid by lobbyists of the of the Islamist uh, lobbies in on the Indian subcontinent to, to, to promote only the agenda of their allies so that we vote for them, we, um, we sub- submit to them, we subjugate to them, and their colonial hangover continues on, on, on our, t- on our, in our minds. So they, they, they needed their colonial hangover to continue and they needed their power over us. Uh, to continue, they needed us to sub- submit and subjugate to them and be subjugative to them. And as a result of which, the Indian subcontinent and India went down the drain. So I've never heard of these dynasties before. And I that's why I went through a few of them. And uh, I hope you will research them. I'm going to go to them again and we'll start over this because I, I'm just, I was sick to my stomach just doing the research and understanding uh, the theft of our knowledge and our civilization by the Indian National Congress and their licensed Raja Marxist uh, regime that uh, occupied our land uh, in the name of, of uh, independent, independent India, independent struggle, it, absolute hoax and absolute regime and they were worse than even the Mughals. Uh, the Mughals didn't take us from 1 million, from 333 million to 1.4 billion, but the Indian National Congress and their slime, and I apologize for saying that, but it is true, uh, the in- Indian National Congress and their license Raj, uh, who's still fighting as victims and persecuted people today, um, and I'm talking of the establishment, I'm not talking of the people on the ground, I have nothing against people, I have something against the establishment who control our minds and lie to us and make a, made us relics of their empires. Um, they were the ones who took away our, our knowledge and history of uh, of our ancestors and thought that they would get away with it. But as usual, we are cyclic and the cycle turns. It's our currents that form our waves. If our civilization has gone on for 10,000 years or more, guess what? A little small little thingamalink called the Indian National Congress is not going to stop it. We survive all this time because of knowledge, uh, culture, heritage, power from the inside and we are going to continue and that's why we're having this podcast to heal and to share the knowledge and we're going to start off with some of the dynasties from 300 BCE to 1000 CE. So the Chira dynasty from 300 BCE to 1124 CE, the Pandya dynasty from 550 BCE to 345 CE, the Chola dynasty from 300 BCE to 1279 CE, the Satavana dynasty um, from 220 BCE to 220 CE, the Indo-Skintian dynasty 
from um, 220 BCE to 220 CE, sorry, from 90 BCE to 45 CE, the Indo-Parthian dynasty from 21 CE to 100 CE, uh, the Western Shatrapas Sh from 35 CE to 405 CE, uh, Kushna dynasty from 1 CE to 225 CE, the Nagas of Padmavati from 3rd century CE to 4th century CE, the Pallava dynasty from 275 CE to 882 CE, the Kadamba dynasty from 345 CE to 525 CE, um, uh, Western Ganga dynasty from 350 to 1024 CE, the Rai dynasty from 524 to 632 CE, the Maitrakas of Vallabhai, 470 to 776 CE, the Chamana dynasty 6 CE to 12 CE, Chalukya dynasty 500 CE to 1200 CE, Shashanka dynasty 600 CE to 626 CE, Harsha dynasty from 606 CE to 647 CE, the Gujara uh, Paritara dynasty 650 to 1036 CE, you have the Rashtrakutas of Manyakata dynasty 735 CE to 8 to 982 CE and you have the Pala Empire from 750 to 984 CE. Never heard of all of these. Maybe maybe the Chola dynasty, the Pandya dynasty, but that was about it. Um, literally, I'm I'm sick to my stomach not knowing about this, and I I don't know how long I've tried to learn about it. It's not very easy because there's not much left to know. I'm guessing it was all burnt and done away with. But um, I hope you guys can can research on this. Um, now, when I say CE, I mean AD in the Christian calendar. Many people don't like to use the Christian calendar anymore, so instead of AD, they use CE. And instead of BC, we use BCE, okay? That, that means before the common era, and CE means common era. So that's anything from one's first century AD to the present time, um, just for elders who are um, questioning. Now, I'm going to come to something very important. I have talked about this before multiple times, and I am going to talk about it again today uh, because it has a big, big impact on the Indian subcontinent. Huge, mighty impact. Uh, it had an impact all over the world. I'm going to talk about this in at length. Um, I'm going to post a video on, on my Facebook page, Religions, Regimes, and Refugees, and I hope that you can look, up, look it up because... We have been on a downward spiral ever since this massive event. So we're going to talk about the volcanic eruption of 536-535 CE. Now, not many have heard of this event having taken place in 535 CE. The simple reason being it was never recorded. Until a documentary I watched on Timeline called The Catastrophe of the, S the Day the Sun Went Out. I was out in the cold too. David Keyes, a writer of history and archaeology, researched the events of history to make a startling find. His journey started as the Conference on Archaeology in 1994 with a lecture by a dendrochronologist. 
dendrochronologist. I repeat, dendrochronologist. The science of dating events and vari variations in the environment in former periods of comparative study of growth rings in trees and agewood. So a dendrologist or dendrochronologist, I apologize, it's a science of dating events and variations in the environment in former periods by comparative studies of gr the growth of rings in trees and aged wood. I never knew it existed, but I guess it does. Mike Bailey uh, was the gentleman um, who was giving the lecture. Both men have changed history in their findings and knowledge they, that they came across will heal generations to come. And my kudos, my hats off to these guys because they've really done some amazing job. Uh, what Mike found was that the trees had potential to become the silent witnesses of ecology, geological events, and catastrophes all over the world. Climate change has left a mark on tree rings. His findings were put into a computer program he invented where he could tell the precise date for climate change going back 7,000 years. It took 14 years to comply this data just from Irish oaks. After comparing data from tree rings and patterns going back a thousand years and that of data from several countries, he realized a massive cataclysmic event took place in 535 to 536 CE. At first, David Keyes thought it would have been a meteorite that hit the earth. He verified historic transcripts written from this time period. In Europe, the Byzantine Empire of Justinian collapsed. In, in, the southern, Chi in southern China, Japan and Mexico and Levant, in England as, and Wales, classical tales told of a darkness that fell upon the earth 18 to, for 18 to 24 months. After geological findings and research in Greenland, they narrowed the event down to a volcanic event. Okay? An event that was a million times stronger than the Hiroshima bombs in the Second World War. The dust and the debris, the volcanic shot, the volcano shot in the air, changed global climate and subsequently history. Empires crumbled. On the Indian subcontinent, two, majors empire, two major empires crumbled within a decade of the catastrophe. The Gupta Empire in the north in 543 CE and the Vakataka Empire in south-central India. I repeat that, Vakataka Empire in south-central India in approximately 500 CE. I think, however, the collapse was at least four decades later. Okay, this is because the last king of this empire had an inscription from his time, which still survives in the Ajanta Caves today. It talks about his achievements, where the sun is said to have been hidden by the dust raised from his, his horse's hooves in many battles. Was he talking about the darkness that fell on the earth due to the volcanic ash? Ash that became sulfuric on mixing upon upper layers of the atmosphere a fallout similar to a nuclear winter, as the documentary timeline puts it. Okay, so it created havoc in on the Indian subcontinent. We know that. Um, and you can go to the Ajanta Caves. It is on the Ajanta Caves, and it's important for you to take a look at it.
um, research it because this event really changed the history of the planet. This is also uh, where people say Europe in Dark Ages. Someone in the 13th century came, uh, a monk in the 13th century, if I'm not mistaken, or a writer in the, in the 13th century, called the, this period in Europe as the Dark Ages. My dear friend, it was not the Dark Ages in, 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 in uh, Europe alone. It was the Dark Ages all over the world. All over the planet, it was, it was a Dark Age. Not just for 24 months, but you're looking for an entire 100 years later. For at least the economy of the planet collapsed in totality. And obviously, in the 13th century, they wouldn't know what happened in the 5th and 6th century. But uh, so this Dark Ages of Europe is a myth. It's an absolute, complete myth. It didn't exist. I mean, it existed, but not just for Europe, all over the world. So it's time to correct uh, the knowledge of history. Um, and we're talking about this in the Indian subcontinent because it had massive effect. We have never gone back to that era. Never Cycle has never turned to the glory of that era because after then it's just been a downward spiral. In any case, both these empires came to an abrupt end and life was never the same again. This was a time when the golden age of the subcontinent also came to an abrupt close. The famous mathematician Aryabhatta passes away in 550 CE, that's just 15 years after the volcanic eruption. It is not to say that South Asia was not a civilization, was not already a civilization in decline. However, this event rocked whatever was left and to date the Indian subcontinent is still lost. Since her people have not had any information or data of this event, how would they have ever known how what they were reacting to? This event did not affect only the subcontinent but also Central Asia. That was di directly affected uh, that which directly affected the events in history on the Central Indian Plains. Um, the climate changed, crops, agriculture produced would have reduced nothing. Needing to survive, they would have descended to the lower plains. I apologize. Um, I said Central. Indian Plains, um, I was talking the Central Asian Plains, okay, Central Asian Plains. So uh, needing to survive this catastrophe uh, would have forced them to descend on the lower plains for survival with no particular agenda in our area in mind. From 540 C onwards, they descended on the northern Indian plains. They were called the White Huns, They um, or sometimes the Heptalites, or Sweta Huna. That's S-V-E-T-A, Huna, sorry. The relationship is sometimes disputed, okay? So... In the, in the 6th century, we have the White Hunts that descend on the northern Indian plains, the Heptalites, Swetahuna, and all these people came because their lands were devastated by this earthquake. They needed to survive. They needed food. They, they just left their lands and came. And people never leave their lands because they want to go and empower other lands. They, need their, they leave their lands because of devastation, of economic scarcity, economic downturn. They need food. They need money. They need to survive. And so they go into other lands and migrate. Their base um, of these white Han Central Asian uh, became Tok 
Haristan, on the northern slopes of the Hindu Kush mountains. Once they descended on the Jangetic plains, they invaded the small kingdoms and dynasties that formed after the breakup of the Gupta Empire. This hastened the decline of the Gupta Empire. While they went to war and subjugated some of the local clans, they also allied with others, later integrating in the northern Indian plains. A classic divide-and-rule tale. They were gone by the end of the 6th century. However, what we have in place is a reminiscent of the Gupta clans and Huns, which gave us the Rajputs. So the Rajputs are the descendants of the Gupta era, um, Gupta clans, the Huns, and they descended on the Huns descended on the plains. They fought wars with the reminiscence of the Gupta Empire and the small kingdoms, and all of this broke down into various clans and further kingdoms and small, small, small tribes, and we got what is known as the Rajputs. A sort of controversial label, as they do not like being, do not like using the terminology of the Huns to describe their genealogy. Rajput comes from the Sanskrit word Raj means king, Putra means son, thus the son of the king. They formed the small kingdoms, clans, and social classes of North India. Modern day North Indians are by and large a descendant of the society. They, they played a prominent role until the 20th century in North Indian society and politics. Rajputs are considered warriors. Thus, when feudal empires of the Guptas and small vassal empires around them collapsed, their upper crust, crust of royalty disappeared. Their second tier of society, the warrior class, uh, the Kshatriya, called the Kshatriyas, took over. Very much like today, when the government collapses, you will find the armed forces stepping in to maintain law and order. Similarly, back then, the Rajputs were a warrior class and went on to form smaller kingdoms, uh, independent kingdoms. These kingdoms, however, went on, however, spent an eternity fighting each other right from the 6th century. Thus, the Indian subcontinent has never recovered from the volcanic eruption of the 536 AD uh, volcan um, volcano and spiraled off out of control. A situation where we will stand, where we still stand today. The division is a blame, of, blame game of divide and rule. A cycle which no one can get out of, but more importantly, no one wants to get out of. So I hope you understand, you go in and, and research the 536 AD earthquake, how it affected the Indian subcontinent, the European continent, the, the, the Middle Eastern con the continent, the Arabian Peninsula, Africa, uh, the Americas. I'm going to put the video online um, and I'm going to put my little write-up about it online and I'm, I hope you will research it because it's important, very important point in our history. We had forgotten about it if it was not for two European uh, researchers um, who we have to thank for. And uh, this is really what caused a massive, massive event. We talk about COVID, but believe me, this was worse than COVID. COVID is nothing compared to what uh, the 536 AD earthquake volcanic eruption was. So we go to the next topic. And the next topic, uh, still on the Indian uh, series, um, history of the Indian subcontinent, we go to the Scintians. Another name that comes out of this period is the Scintians. They originated as nomadic tribesmen in, from Siberia as far as the research goes. 
These, these names appear in historical records around 8 BCE. They are said to form a network of tradespeople along the Silk Route. On the Indian subcontinent, they are called as Sakas or Shakas. They appear on the scene of the northwestern frontier in what is today Afghanistan, uh, Pakistan, and provin the provinces of Punjab around 1 BCE to approximately 4th century CE. Sometimes called Indo-Skintians uh, or the Indo-Skintian invasion, they also reached western state of Uttar Pradesh in India. Uh, not much is known about them, nor were we ever told about them in our schools and colleges. The information is, on, is only slowly coming out now. Because the Sintians, the Huns, and the descendants of the Mauryan Empire, the Gupta Empire, we have clans and feudal chaos in North India. The descent, the descent was perpetuated uh, after the 536 AD CE earthquake, a uh, volcanic eruption. The fight for control of territory means slavery, serfdom, and divide and rule. The fight for control um, also uh, brings about something else, beautiful architecture in the spirit credited to these empires, all of which were built by serfs. And then we come across the most important uh, or talked about a period of Indian history, um, which is only one part of the whole uh, nine yards, you know, very small part of 10,000 years of history that we can go back on. But everyone is so concentrated on it that we forget about everything else. So let's go straight into it. The Arabic his Arab Islamic invasion of South Asia. By and large, the region was controlled by what is called the Buddhist Hindu empires as well as vassal kingdoms. Arabs under Islam commenced the first clashes in 653 at the frontier called Al-Frontier, the frontier of Al-Hind. They made their official entry into Hind into Sindh in 711 AD. The history of this time is recorded in the chronicles of the Chachanama, an ancient history of Sindh. Again, it's, it's only a version written by the victors and not the losing side. The invasion commenced um, with Sindh, a province in modern Pakistan, with its capital Karachi. The chronicles are the oldest of history uh, of Sindh. The Arabs conquered the province of Sindh, an area which would have been the heart of the in ancient Indus Valley civilization. Led by Muhammad bin Qasim, he led an attack on the locals and continued until Multan. Buddhism was prevalent in the region of Sindh. Buddhists and Brahmins all lived together in relative harmony, which was what we call multiculturalism today. Violence was not allowed even though among their own people. Chinese travelers passed through this region, leaving records that they existed, and uh, there existed a renaissance in Sanskrit literature during this time. While the Muslims say the elite were said to be corrupt at the time and Buddhism was on the decline, the Hindus say uh, he was just another liberal leader, although there existed several tensions in the area, which is normal in feudalism. Hindu king Raja Dahad was the eldest son of Chach, Chach, uh, Chach the founder of the Brahmin dynasty of Sindh. He had inherited Lower Sindh. His younger brother Dara Singh, Dahar Singh was ruling Upper Singh, and both, were, both of them were born of Suhandi, the ambitious wife 
of Chach. C-H-A-C-H. There was a family rivalry between the brothers for power, with Dahir marrying his, his sister to consolidate his power on the advice of his ridiculous astrologers. Sorry for that. A marriage, resources say, was never consummated. However, the story, the bottom line, is every king starts off as a just and liberal leader, letting the people to live as is and collecting tribute for their armies, palaces, as well as concubines. Once the cycle comes to full circle and the money goes to the head, the power is concentrated in the hands of a few. Establishments set in uh, which were perched on a high pedestal. Once they lose the sight on the ground, they de the fall is then imminent. On the way down, the marginalized people will deflect. Uh, they will side with the foreign power waiting to come in. The foreign power will be glad to enlist defectors, defeated lords, and landless peasants. They will support each other and bring down the kingdom from the inside. The threat of invasion by the Arab Muslim power was increased every day since the Arab occupation of Persia in 635 AD. Raja Dahir was not prepared to face the invading Islamic invaders. He was more used to ancient diplomacy and civilization of the Persians. The Arabs were barbarians. It is said that while the first civil war within Islam was raging, the Shias of the Caliphate were being headed. There were many stories about this time. However, there's one story which sticks out and makes sense. Hajjaj bin Yusuf Saki, an Umayyad governor of Iraq. Hindus and Buddhists had many trade missions with Arabs since ancient times. The Hindus had always become welcome Arab traders to their coats. After Islam, some Arabs had to f some Arabs had fled to Sin due to Muslim conquest and, and sought refugee status in Sindh. The Arabs also sought refugees. The Arabs who sought refuge were from the Alafi tribe. One of the members of the tribe was beheaded and skinned. His head was sent to Basra. The tribesmen took revenge and then fled to Sin for safety. The Hindu king Raja Dahir had also given shelter to well-known followers and family of Imam Hussein. They were of Ahal al-Bayat, okay, family of the House of Muhammad. So Ahal, A-H-L, al-Bayat, the family of the House of Muhammad, um, is what it means. The Umayyads were considered were concerned with the el with eliminating the Prophet's family. Uh, the Umayyads uh, asked for the return of Muhammad bin Alafi, but Raja Dahir refused. The Sindh uh, also sent local resistance fighters, uh, says some sources, to help the Prophet's family. Not sure how true it was. However, the Kingdom of Sindh protected the Arab refugees who sought refuge on their territory. One of the reasons was that the society at the time had for a law that they would not return prisoners or accuse civilians, wrongly or rightly, who had placed themselves under the protection of the enemies. The Arabs invaded and conquered the area. And here we go. That started the invasion of Sin and the 1300-year invasion, 1300 invasion and occupation and genocide of the of the Islamic colonial empires into the Indian subcontinent. There were several stories that were told. Another story is pirates captured a ship of Muslim women going to Hajj uh, from Sri Lanka. 
the ship docked at Deba during stormy weather and the women were imprisoned. They had no relation with the Hindu king. However, Islamic chronicles typically invoke uh, them as Hindu pirates. When the Arabs asked for the release, the Hindu king said no, um, had said he had no control of the pirates as they were not answerable to him. Therefore, the Arabs were forced to invade and conquer Sin. A typical victimhood story of Islam. But here is what makes sense to me. An angle that no one else ever looks at. Let me go back to explain the mentality of protecting prisoners. There existed Hebrew tribes from previous generations of refugees in Sin. Now, when, when the um, Hebrew kingdoms came down, um, 1,600 years later, the Hebrews were spread all over the place. Tribes, tribes, tribes in Europe, in, in Africa, in Asia. And all, the bulk of them would have come to the Indian subcontinent. That's how we have so many Jews in Goa, the west coast of India, and also northern India. So the northern Indian, the north... Um, the northern tribes, the ten tribes of North Israel, which were um, which were made as slaves and, and sent to Assyria, and some of them fled uh, and sought refuge on the Indian subcontinent, North, what is today North Pakistan, Pakistan, North India, uh, also. Um, um, generations and generations, 1,600 years of Arab tribes, uh, Hebrew tribes, uh, Jewish tribes coming into this land. And so this land, uh, what is today Afghanistan, Pakistan, was actually a lot, had a lot of Arab, uh, Hebrew tribes staying on them. And that's where we get tribe in Paktunwa, uh, the, the, the Paktunwa province. These were all former Jews converted afterwards to Islam. So all these uh, tribes existed um, in as refugees in Sin, an area today known as Afghanistan and Pakistan. They lived peacefully but governed by their own laws. Before them, thousands of nomadic tribesmen from Africa, Arabia, all found refuge on the Indian subcontinent. The Hebrews had a code called city, Cities of Refuge. Basically, if you were a convicted prisoner, you could live on these reserves. Okay, uh, no one would betray you or interfere with you. That means you were convicted by the court of law, called the Beddin in in Hebrew times, um, and you fled until your 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 case was over. You could live peacefully in these cities of refuge. No one was able to touch you, and so you were protected from the society. You would be very angry with your crimes, and so on and so forth. Uh, the duty of the society was to protect you and give you a second chance. Hence, there was no way that the Hindu kings would give up his refugees because this was a society at the time. They would, anyone could flee into these cities of refuge, even if you were not Hebrew. Um, so yeah, uh, this proves that if the family of the prophet was given refuge in sin or a place or, or reserve of refuge, then he was like his ancestors of Hebrew descent. Today, although they all belong to Islam, there still exist tribes of Muslims called Pashtuns. And this is where you get Pashtuns um, in, in uh, tribal uh, Pakistan and Afghanistan. They still follow the ancient code or way of life of the Hebrews. Today, that code is called Pashtunwali, also known as Afghaniyat. 
Okay, it is the ancient code of the Hebrews, followed by Pashtuns who live in the tribal areas of Pakistan and Afghanistan. So, if these prisoners, if these pirates sought refuge in these cities of refuge in um, what is today modern day Pakistan and Afghanistan, then any king of this area, whether he was a Hindu king, a non Hebrew, non Hindu king, he would have to protect these, these prisoners. He would not be able to give those prisoners up. Now, when I so when these Arab invaders came asking for these prisoners, the king would have said no. Of course, in history, they don't talk about it. They say the Hindu king refused to give the prisoners, and that's why we invaded the, the Indian subcontinent, and now uh, the Indian subcontinent is Islamic as ours. So that's their reason for invading the, Islam, the Indian subcontinent. Islam was started as a geopolitical alliance with the people of the book and Ishmaelites in Yathrib. Once the alliance was formed, cementing that alliance would have been the best way to go forward. Remember that there were Israelite tribes all over the place, from Cairo to western Morocco. Before the state of Israel was formed, Morocco was the country that had the most amount of Jews living in it in Africa. In, in the east, Israelite tribes were spread all over Persia, Afghanistan, modern-day Pakistan, and Kashmir. The legend describes Malak Afghania as the son of Iremia, that's Jeremiah, and grandson of King Saul, okay? So Afghanistan is actually named after um, Malak Afghana, okay? From that's where they get their name Afghanistan. Malak Afghana as the son of Iremia, that means Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah of the Old Testament, and grandson of the first king of, of the kingdom of Israel, that's Saul. So that's how you get Afghanistan. It's actually a, a tribal... Hebrew place. Thus, Afghana or Avagana was a tribal chief or prince who descended from the Bani Israel all over northern Gangetic plains of India. Um, Israelite tribes would have settled after the kingdom of Israel and Judah was destroyed and occupied. Remember, agriculture flourished near the river deltas. Thus, this junction of the Ganges, the Yamuna, the Brahmaputra would have witnessed the largest settlement of Israelite tribes. Most of these tribes would have descended from the northern lost tribes of Israel. In the south, on the western Indian coast, the tribes of Judah would have come first for trade and then refugees. Uh, the influence um, the influence and power grew over time. As mentioned in previous chapters, Hebrews were all about trade and commerce. They almost always controlled the commerce of the region. Then they grew in numbers. Thus, when the Arabs started invading after Muhammad's death, their original geopolitical alliance from, from Yathrib, or Medina, with the Israelite people of the book, would have been the key to invading the regions in 100 years. All they had to do was send their people or spies ahead to make alliance with the Israelite tribes on the inside. Then their allies from the inside, then with their allies from the inside, all they had to do was just open the doors to let the armies come in. The Israelites were not in power in modern-day Persia, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and India. So as subordinate people allying with new leadership that was more in line with their values than that of the Hindus would have not been a problem. It is weird, however, that the same refugees who were given support a few hundred years earlier, in the time of need, they turned their backs 
on the same Hindu kingdoms that were earlier that earlier saved their lives. This mentality has not changed for a very long time. The highlight of this point, the refugees of the Alafi tribe, um, who were given refuge by the Sindhi king, when asked for help in battle against the Umayyad invaders, declined to help the Hindu king Dahar himself. Left to defend himself, the Hindu king said, and I quote, I am going to meet the Arabs in open battle and fight them as best I can. If I crush them, then my kingdom will then be put on a firm footing. If I am killed honorably, the event will be recorded in the books of Arabia and India and will be talked about by great men. It will be heard over by other kings of the world, and it will be said that Raja Dahar of Sindh sacrificed his precious life for the sake of his country in fighting with the enemy. That he did and the rest is history. Blood is thicker than water, they say. Even though we all have the same blood, Arabs invaded, uh, killed the Hindu king and took his daughters as slaves. 1300 years later, we are still paying the price for that treachery. The Islamic Quran too was written or dictated by the people of the book. In my opinion, it praised the ideology and talked about God, how God saved Jerusalem and how God gave Jerusalem to the children of Israel. Over time, they would have not just become allies of Muslims, but intermarried, amalgamated their identity, gained in trade and commerce, which they would have loved to control. Those descendants of the Israelites uh, who would not join their new partnership would have been killed or taken as slaves. With their numbers growing, they would have enjoyed the burst of power and control over people they saw as evil, the Hindus. Imagine the scenario, the Arabs who would have invaded the subcontinent from the north and come across Hebrew tribes. They would have needed to ally with whoever was not in political power at that time. Anyone else but the Hindus and the Buddhists. This means the northern Israelites, especially since they shared the same heritage via, via geopolitical alliance. All they had to do was walk into a group or conversation during uh, using Muhammad's Israelite name. Assalamu alaikum. They would have said, we come from Muhammad bin Abdullah bin Abdul Mutalib bin Hashim bin Abd Mana. Hashem being a Hebrew alternate word of God, the Arabs would have welcomed, would have been welcome among the Israelite tribes, giving on living on the subcontinent. Having a holy word for a name always invokes good business relations anywhere in the world. Having a conversation with Muhammad's name and ancestry would have been easy just by using his Israelite heritage and lineage. The new Islamic Quran, which glorified the children of Israel and the people of the book, would have come in handy. It would have been easy, an easy way to get their foot in the door. Once inside, they could use this connection as a base for their political alliance, then trade, commerce, and vice versa. Then all that remained was just to take over the land. Today, we have completely forgotten that the Muslims, Christians, and Hindus all have Hebrew heritage. The land with most number of people descended from the original 12 tribes of Israel is not the country of Israel, but the Indian subcontinent. 1.8 billion Desi people all have some type of ancient Israelite heritage. And that, my friends, um, is 
one part of the chapter of the history of the Indian subcontinent uh, from uh, a thousand BC, uh, from three hundred BCE onwards. How uh, the Scythians, the five thirty six AD earthquake, uh, the different empires that existed, and of course the Arab invasion of of India. So we talk a lot about the Arab invasion. We don't know how it came. We thought they just came in and. No invading army comes in just like that. They ally with people on the ground. So who were these people on the ground they allied with? People who came prior to them. Who were the ones who came prior to them that resembled them most in ideology? Were the Hebrew tribes. The Hebrew tribes of the northern kingdom of Israel. Very important to understand this geopolitics. Once the northern kingdom uh, breaks up and all their sl- um, people flee and 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 uh, seek, seek seek refuge, the earliest, the easiest place for refuge would have been the Indian subcontinent with its water, with its land, with its agriculture, with its commerce. So all these northern Israelite tribes landed here in the north. Uh, the southern Israelite tribes would have come through Yehud and South India, but these northern Israelite tribes uh, came um, and mixed with the locals. Some of them would have realigned and converted to what we now know as Hinduism or Dharma and changed uh, alliances. A bulk of the bulk of them, a lot of them would have remained as is. And when Islam took place and these northern Israelite tribes then uh, formed an alliance with the Arabs, invading Arabs, and they finally took over this land. So it was more than likely an, an alliance with the previous generations of refugees from the northern tribes and um, the Arab invaders um, from, from, the, from the Arabian Peninsula. And thus we have the Islamic invasion and colonization of the Indian subcontinent uh, till today. So that's it for today. Uh, I hope you got the picture a little bit. Um, There's a lot more to come on this chapter. There's one, two, three, four. Oh my goodness, we got a lot more on this chapter itself. But uh, I'm glad to be back. Thank you very much for your your time. Uh, I hope you have a great day and um, a great time ahead, a great week ahead. Cheers. And take care, my friends.